And I want us to turn in our Bibles to Matthew 18, Matthew chapter 18. This morning in the worship service, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, where we're told to be tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving one another, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. The word in Ephesians 4.30, which we'll find out, 4.32 rather, which we'll find out this morning, is not the word release, which is the typical word for forgiveness, but it's more of the word for to grace. It's a broader idea of cancellation. It's often a monetary term referring to the release of debt that is justifiably owed. Also, in our morning worship service, we're going to be getting ready for the Lord's table, and then we've got a church picnic to follow. And so, I wanted to keep things a little shorter for the Sunday morning sermon, and sometimes when I want to keep things a little shorter, I get a really rich text that I want to spend a little more time on. And so, I was going to go one direction this morning for Sunday school, but decided instead to lop off a chunk of what would have been this morning's sermon and bring it over here to Sunday School and expand it a little bit. Fair enough? And uh, it will prepare our hearts to study Ephesians 4.32. So I had you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. There's a famous passage at the beginning of this passage where Jesus instructs us to go to a person that's offended us and if They won't listen to take another and then eventually to bring it to the church where restitution can be made. Peter then goes to the Lord in verse 21 and says, what if we've got a repeat offender on our hands? What if this fellow just keeps making the same mistake, doing the same sin over and over again? Should we forgive him, Peter asks, as many as seven times? Seven's a lot of times to do the same sin, if you think about it, especially if it's a bad sin. How many times would you let somebody steal from you? If I just was a little light-fingered and I snagged $100 out of your pocket every time you came by, how many times before you'd put your wallet in your front pocket and your hand on it when you came around me? (laughs) I'd say I'd get one, maybe two chances. Seven's a lot. Seven's a lot. So he says seven times. That seems to Peter to be almost excessive. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, verse 22, but 70 times seven. Now does Jesus mean we're supposed to forgive the same sin 490 times? Or is he speaking metaphorically here is he speaking in a picture in other words what he's saying take what you think is excessive and multiply it times an even more excessive number to where your forgiveness of other people is exponentially greater than what you thought it should have been let's read what jesus says next and see if we can answer that question fair enough Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Let's stop right there and settle in on that number. 10,000 talents. I had to pull out some arithmetic this morning. That number, 10,000 talents, is an astronomical number. A talent was, now this is a bit hard for us to imagine because we don't typically think in these divisions of numbers, but a talent was one set of 20 years of wages. So make whatever you're going to make for 20 years, that is one talent. And this guy owed him 10,000 of those 20-year units. At minimum wage, that's 73... I'm sorry, at minimum wage, that's 73 million workdays. 73 million workdays. And that comes out to $8.76 billion. $8.76 billion with a B. And that's at minimum wage. You say, well, the Romans didn't go off of paper money, they were hard currency. And I would say to that, you're right. You're exactly right. They went off of silver. This would have been, let's see here, I wrote it down, 340 metric tons of silver. Okay, Would you guys like to know how much 340 metric tons of silver is? Take right down the middle of our church aisle here and stack silver from from the floor to the ceiling and fill half the sanctuary with silver. Solid, pure silver, no breaks, no impurities, nothing. Floor to ceiling and half of the sanctuary would be about 340 metric tons of silver. That's a good bit of silver, isn't it? Can you imagine me? You, uh, you find out, oh, Pastor Greg owes me $100. I'll be like, hey, just take your hammer and chisel and go knock yourself off a block and carry it home with you. It's a lot of silver. It's a lot of silver. The number that Jesus comes up with is almost a fictional number, unless you're dealing with the national debt of the United States of America. It is almost a made-up number. $8.76 billion at minimum wage. 10,000 20-year stretches of your life. 10,000. It's a huge debt. One might wonder, how does a king loan that much money? How do you get into debt to a king for that much before he recalls? But Jesus is, of course, telling a story. He's trying to teach us something about forgiveness and about our relationship with God. And so he says, let's go on with our story. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So we had talked about 20, I'm sorry, 20 years, 10,000 sets of 20 years. This was the king's plan. I am going to extract the working life of all of this man's offspring. His children, his children's children, his great-grandchildren. And... 10,000 people are going to have to come through him and give me 20 years of labor 
before I will release this entire family from their sin. This is generational servitude. How many generations would have to go by before we hit that 10,000 mark? I mean, this is, this is centuries long, I would have to think, slavery to pay off a debt that could never be paid, and that's without any interest running on it. It's an amazing thing the king is going to collect. So, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. If you like to write in your Bible, I might suggest you circle that word imploring and write the word worship. It's the Greek word proskuneo, and it literally means to worship. Um, This is on your face, utter, complete surrender. There's no pretense in his being. There's no um, excuse making. I do want you to notice that the servant is still sort of in this legal mindset. Even though he has surrendered and acknowledged that he has no ability to pay, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. How much patience would a man have to have to wait for another to repay him $8.7 billion at minimum wage? He is asking here for infinite patience. He's asking for the mercy of God. And this servant also realizes something that Jesus, that we might have to explain in our culture, but Jesus would not have to explain in his. That the debt did have to be repaid. Even if he weren't enslaved, even if his family were not given over, he could, he could not move on with life without making at least an honest, heartfelt attempt at repaying what he was owed. Now clearly, God, clearly this is an image, this is a picture of the things that we owe God. And we start to meditate on all that we owe God and it begins to crush us. Because we owe on the good side and on the bad side. Think of all the bad we have done. Think of all the sins that we have committed that could never be paid for by any amount of sacrifice on our part. We wound people, and those wounds stick with them their entire lifetime, and there's no amount of money you could give them, there's no amount of good you could do that will wipe away the hurt that you've caused. There's also all the good we've failed to do, all the missed opportunities, all the wrong thoughts, all the evil that flows through us. God says in Genesis chapter 6 that he looked at man and he saw that the thoughts of man were only evil continually and it grieved him that he'd made the earth. There's an overwhelming sense of debt and inability not just to pay but a huge 
there's a huge uh, demerit on our account. We, we have wronged, and that requires repayment, and then there's all the good we failed to do well. Such that Jesus is trying to tell us, I could give you 10,000 lifetimes, and you would not fulfill it. It is constitutionally impossible for you to pay God what you owe. And if we're feeling crushed by that weight, you have gotten the sense of the parable that Jesus is telling. He wants this to be a crushing burden of weight on us, of the debt that we owe our King. And our king expects repayment. Our king demands it. God be praised, Christ has paid it all. (laughs) It is finished, was his cry. The dead is gone. But, Jesus is telling this parable here, so let's move forward. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. There's three key words there. Pity, released, and forgave. The word pity is an awesome Greek word. If you'd like to learn how to say it, it's one of those ones that's a lot of fun to say. Splagnizo. It sounds the opposite of what we might think of as pity, but in Greek, I guess it works. It sounds to us like you've got uh, you're, you're getting over COVID-19 and you're trying to clear your throat. Splagnizo. <laughs> that means it, it actually comes from the Greek word for kidneys or bowels from, from down here. Okay. Um, imagine just seeing somebody in agony. And we would say it like this, it just breaks my heart. We, we feel it down here or, or somebody comes to you, somebody that you love with a, a tale of woe and it, you can actually feel the weight of it hit you. You feel the hurt or the shame or the guilt or whatever it is, you feel that hit you. Or suddenly you have an awareness that there's this person that you've been judging all along and you've been judging them wrongly. And instead of judging them to their demerit, now you realize in a moment that they haven't been wrong all along. I, I, I think of a, a pastor who had a skin condition. He would wear long sleeves and sport jackets all the time. His people criticized him for being overly formal. All he was trying to do was cover up his skin because he was so embarrassed by it. And all they thought was he's legalistic. And then finally somebody found out about it and they were ashamed. They were moved with pity for suddenly they realized here's a man who's just trying to cover up something that's embarrassing just like you would, right? We feel that weight hit us, don't we? Well, the master says, it said, Jesus says the master was moved with pity Twofold, he released 
he just let it go. $8.7 billion. There isn't a king on this planet that would let go of $8.7 billion willingly. I don't care. The, we- the wealth of Solomon would not let that one go. You want to know what the word released means? It's, I've used this illustration before. Go to the top of the Empire State Building, reach your hand over if they would let you, and drop something. And watch that thing go out of sight. It disappears into the clouds, and there is no getting it back. It's gone. Walk to the end of the pier of the Pacific Ocean and chuck it. Just throw it as far as you can and watch it disappear into the water. It's gone and there's no getting it back. It is a final, a final and ultimate releasing of what is technically yours. And then it says that he forgave him. The idea is that you can release somebody but still hold it over them. How many of you have heard of gifts with strings attached? (laughs) Yes, you have been given this wonderful gift, but now there's all this unseen, subjective ramifications that comes with this gift. Or there's this relational tension between you, even though this, this debt has been forgiven. It's been forgiven now, too. It's been released and forgiven. There's a full restoration of the relationship. Kind of like after the Civil War, the South surrendered. And then all of the northern generals, a lot of the northern politicians, wanted to punish the South even more than war had already torn their nation. And Abraham Lincoln, in one of his last acts before he was assassinated, said, no, no. No more punishment. War was enough. And brought the Union back together. It was a restoration of the relationship as it was before. That's the idea. The king released and the king forgave. He restored the servant the debt. Now, what a wonderful picture, isn't it? What a wonderful picture. How... How amazing that is, that our debt, all of that stuff we did, all of that stuff we owed is gone and released and we have full forgiveness with God. If only the parable could have stopped there. But Jesus is telling us a parable to illustrate a little something else. That's the backdrop for the lesson of the parable. The grammar is even more dramatic than the parable, than than the translation of our parable gives. Let's read, it says, but when that servant went out, there's a really strong connection between verse 28 and 27. The way that Jesus was intending to tell the story, I believe, is that as soon as the servant had this conversation with the king about his released debt and forgiven status, the, the release of his debt had hardly come off the king's lips. 
he leaves the room, walks outside, and within a minute goes on a manhunt. It says that he went and found another servant. And this servant owed him a hundred denarii. Now that is not an insignificant amount of money. hundred denarii, a denarius is a day's wage, at minimum wage, again, this is $12,000. Okay? How many of you would like a $12,000 check in your pocket today? Well, of course you would. What would you do with $12,000? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what, I know what I would do with $12,000. I'm not telling, okay? <laughs> Whatever you would do with $12,000, I'm sure that's what this person wanted to do as well. And as soon as he got out of his conversation with the king, this would be like observing the Lord's table here at church and walking straight into the parking lot and being upset with somebody that owed you $12,000. A significant sum, yes. But a pebble compared to the seashore of sand that you owed. Now, this man goes out, and I want you to notice the difference of behavior. The servant was brought to the king, but this man goes out and finds the guy who owes him. He's aggressive. It says that he found him, he harangued him, he choked him, he seized him. The word seized is krateo. He grabbed him with a strong hand, he choked him. This is a picture of a man who grabs another man by the collar and is shaking him like this. He chokes him until he thinks he's going to die and revives him to try to communicate home to him that it's time for him to repay. He treats him miserably. Not even, he, not even slightly as bad as the king. The king had dignity for this man and this servant has gone out. Pay what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you. I want you to notice what Jesus is talking about here is a situation where acknowledgement of the wrong has been made and a request for forgiveness has been offered. Very often in our Christian lives, people wrong us in ways and, and they don't, they don't apologize. Furthermore, they don't even acknowledge that they've committed a wrong. Or worse yet, they blame you for the sin that they've committed. That's a, that's a separate topic for a separate time. Okay. That's a complicated, thorny, biblical issue. The least that I, the most, the most that I think we can say in this lesson is in those cases, and every one of us in here has one of those at least, I would venture to say all of us have multiple of those. In each of those cases, there needs to be a strong readiness to forgive. And though they haven't acknowledged the wrong, it's impossible for us to release them from the wrongdoing they've done because they haven't even acknowledged wrong. They think they've done right in many, many ways. There needs to be a strong willingness to let that go, at the very least, 
should that person come and ask? That's a little outside our scope for today. Because Jesus is talking about a situation where the wrongdoer is confessing it fully. The wrongdoer is saying, I, I do owe you, and I'm sorry. Be patient with me. Be patient with me. I, I'll, I'll pay it back. He uses the same exact language that the first servant used with his king. This would be like us asking the Lord, forgive me, forgive me. I've sinned against you. I've, I've sinned against your name. I've shamed you in the public eye. I've, I've hurt you. I've sinned against you and you alone. Would you please forgive me? And then a person comes to you and says, forgive me, I've sinned against you, I've shamed you in the public eye, would you please forgive me? Same exact verbiage. And you just turn a blind eye to it. Plug your ears, hold it against them, hold a grudge. Refuse to release, refuse to let go. Refuse to forgive. Jesus is telling the story in such a way that he's drawing a very strong parallel between vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness. The servants, uh, some fellow servants, saw what had taken place, verse 31, and they were distressed. There was a, a shock in the family of God. This was, this, was a, this was very hard for them. They saw one of their friends being choked by a man who had just been forgiven an incredible debt. So they went to the king, they went to the master, told him all that had taken place. Then his master summoned this unforgiving servant and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? For I had mercy on you. And in anger he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, in America we would say, that's not right. It was forgiven. (laughs) Well, this king wasn't living in a democracy. Okay. This king was the monarch, and the monarch gets to set the rules. And in Jesus' day, a king could do this very thing, and it was fine. It was not wrong. Furthermore, Jesus is comparing this to God, and God, who can do no wrong, is saying, you need to forgive as you were forgiven. And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now friends, this is a very stunning verse to follow. And I'm going to read it slowly because we need it to settle in. Okay. So, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you 
if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Okay? So also will my Heavenly Father do if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. There are people who've wronged us and they've come to us and asked us for forgiveness. Or what happens what happens if their request for forgiveness is hmm, let's call it less than ideal. Have you had those? Would you say the first servant, the first servant who went, would you say his apology was ideal? I, I, I will try to pay you. You can't repay that. The king had enough awareness to know that this was a less than ideal apology and still forgave it all. I think of a, I think of a, a young man I know, and he grew up in a, verbally abusive home. And when I say abuse, I'm not I'm I'm not talking about small abuse. Not small. Not small. And as his father was getting toward the end of his life, his father came to him and said the way I spoke to you as a child was wrong. That's all he said. Does that cover 18 years of abuse? Does that make up for it? Jesus says it should. Jesus says it should. We say, you know what? I owed 10,000 of those 18-year sections and more. And I asked God to forgive me, and He did. And even though there's nothing that this dad can do to make up, to repay for what happened, in his own way, he apologized. And then it's on, in these situations on us, and it was on this young man, and here was the picture I gave him. I said, can you take a box, okay, can you take a box, and every insult that your father ever threw at you, can you put it into that box? Just keep putting them in the box, and is your mind runs back to other ones, put it in that box. And when your dad said to you, I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you, he's talking about the box and everything in it. Can you reckon that in your soul? And the young man said, yes. <laughs> and the young man, God be praised, is on the way to having a better, productive, godly relationship with his dad. 
is taking time and hard work and most of it is on the son to just keep putting stuff in that box that he'd already released and forgiven. Okay? So also my father will do to every person that doesn't forgive his brother from his heart. So, let me end with a question, okay? I'm, I'm going to put it out to you guys, and I want you to answer it. What is, what is the fuel for forgiveness this way? Where are you going to find the reserves for forgiveness toward these people sitting in these chairs and your family and those who have wronged you? Where are you going to find the wherewithal to forgive them. Yes, Sebastian. Point the direction this way. So let's everybody point, where am I going to find the fuel to forgive this way? This way. Okay. You can't conjure it yourself. You can't make yourself have a forgiving enough heart. So we need to ask God for it, but also to reflect on our own forgiveness and our own station and our own setting. The love of God and Christ Jesus that he's had for us. And I like to think of it like this, like a beam that comes down and grows out. Okay? A beam that comes down and grows out. I'm being all picturesque today. Um, that's how I think of it. Can I, can I let that extend out? Okay. All right. That was part of the sermon I cut out. Okay? <laughs> all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. These are really challenging words from our Savior. Father, I don't make light of the wrongs that anybody in here has suffered. Some of our brothers and sisters in here have suffered in some dramatic ways, awful ways. And some of us really need you to grace us with a heart of forgiveness, especially towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I ask that you would help us to reflect right now on our own redemption so that we might have that mark of grace that every believer should bear. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.